Welcome back to Trennis Magnus, Jab's Reality, a podcast on vacation presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus Kid, and, you know, guys, something that honestly just occurred to me as I started recording all of this stuff just now is the fact that I honestly don't think that I've ever given a shout out to uh, Lucy, my American Eskimo puppy at any time on this on this entire podcast or in this entire podcast's entire history, you know? But I want each of you to think of your favorite episode of my show or your least favorite or the show that's just most average or just whatever. And know that at any given moment when I was recording that episode, whether you loved it or hated it or didn't care about it, Lucy was never more than 20 feet away. She's been this show's unofficial mascot for all these years. And as I say, I don't think I've ever actually said so out loud. So now I've said so out loud. Now, last week, I talked a little bit about the five years later era of the Legion of Superheroes. And before I get into that, I just realized there's something else I need to tell you guys about. If you hear this kind of whirring type sound that's going on in the background, this kind of sound, you need to understand that I've got a little space heater uh, sitting next to me and it's keeping my Magnus Kid toes nice and warm because it's really freaking cold outside right now. And for those of you who don't know, I was born of the desert and so it doesn't really take all that much uh, for me to feel freezing frickin' cold, and right now I do in fact feel freezing frickin' cold. Or I would feel freezing frickin' cold if not for this space heater. But I have the space heater, so I do not feel freezing frickin' cold. So, oh, now it's turned off. Very good. All right, anyway, so like I say, though, last week I talked about the five years later era of the Legion of Superheroes, and I basically explained why it is that that era kind of sort of works for me. I also talked a fair bit about uh, synthwave, the the genre of music, synthwave, right? And basically how it is that I think synthwave is actually a really good uh, soundtrack for the Legion of Superheroes in the 80s, certainly for the five years later era. Not so much because, I mean, th- there is a little bit of how shall I put, like stylistic dissonance, you know, that synthwave is this kind of, I don't know, like aspirational, retro future, 1980s ideal. And it would be safe to say that, you know, whether you love the five years later Legion or whether you hate it, it is definitely not uh, the zenith of, you know, the, the legion of superheroes in terms of their personal happiness because that you know they've been through some serious shit you know by the time of legion of superheroes volume four number one right they've been through some serious stuff you know that's that's gone on and i kind of like i said i kind of touched upon all of this last week but basically my justification for using synthwave anyway for a show that i'm gonna do at least about legion of superheroes volume four number one at some point in the future, I know not when, but my justification for that is gonna be that, 
yes, there is a little bit of a stylistic clash going on, but that sort of aspirational ideal that the, that the Legion of Superheroes represents and kind of embodies is still very much in evidence in the five years later era. You know, they've just been beaten down by life and let's face it, really by the government and let's face it even more really by the dominators. But their ideals and their dreams, their beliefs, those things remain untarnished. And so for that reason, I think it's completely justifiable to use the synthwave soundtrack since it represents not necessarily their reality as it is for the Legion in the first issue of that series, but more their ambitions, their ideals, their aspirations. You know, does that make sense? So anyway, also last week, since I can't seem to get out of the past here, also last week I used some really horrible fucking artwork for uh, for last week's episode of Trennis Magnus Jab's Reality. And it's one of those things I just kind of banged it out. And at the time, you know, I didn't really want to think too much about it. There was about a zillion other things I had to do. So I just sent it on out the door. But when I started taking like a little bit more of a critical look at it later on, yuck. So I went ahead and fixed it, at least on the TTF page. So if you go to the twotruefreaks.com page and you look at my little sub page on there for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, you're going to see like the revised and improved artwork. But if you go to the Trinus Magnus Punches Reality Facebook page, there you'll see the horrifying original artwork. And I don't necessarily recommend that you take a look at it, but if you've got something akin to a morbid curiosity, well, there's where you can find it, Haas. So anyway, so hopefully now I can stop freaking talking about last week and start talking a little bit more about this week, because this week I want to talk a little bit more about the Five Years Later Legion, but not necessarily just that, you know. But one of the things that I've noticed is the five years later uh, era of the Legion, this really is kind of a love it or leave it type of comic book, you know? And honestly, I think that, I don't think I've ever said this out loud before, but you know, my view of the Legion of Superheroes as a comic book franchise is that guys, you don't necessarily have to be a comic book fan in order to really get into The Walking Dead. And I would say specifically like the first 48 issues of The Walking Dead. Some would say the first like 100-ish or more issues. You know, I guess everyone's going to have a different opinion, but the bottom line is that The Walking Dead as a comic book, it doesn't necessarily require the, the reader to be a fan of comics. You just need to just give the story a chance and sooner or later it, it's going to well, it's just going to suck you in after a certain point, you know? Point being, you don't need to be, you know, uber comic book fan in order to enjoy the Walking Dead comic book. But I don't know that that really applies to the Legion, you know? It's one of those things that, you know, when I really started thinking about it, you know, the Legion, this is one of those... This is one of those comics that I think it kind of demands that the reader be a pretty big fan of not just the Legion, but I would say comic books in general, you know? And I guess a good example, I, and I kind of touched on this last week, but you know, here again, I kind of had to hurry through last week's episode, so I don't know that I necessarily got a chance to say everything that I wanted to say 
last week. But basically, what I talked kind of in passing about last week was the Great Darkness Saga. And that story, if you just read it out of context, not really knowing much or for that matter really anything at all about the Legion or Dark Side even for that matter, you know, it's it's kind of it's kind of easy to, to just read that story and either A not get it or B read it and think, well, pff, I don't really see what the big hullabaloo is all about with this, and then just kind of move on. But you know, if you're more familiar with goings on uh, with DC Comics in general at the time of the Great Darkness Saga, more specifically with Darkseid and goings on with him inside the DC Universe, and then uh, particularly the Legion of Superheroes and things that had been going on in their comic book leading up to the onset of the Great Darkness Saga, it becomes a lot easier to put the Great Darkness Saga into better context. Now, the thing is, you don't necessarily need to be, like I say, a huge comic book fan to get into The Walking Dead. Or you don't necessarily need to be a huge comic book fan to read and enjoy Watchmen. Or on and on and on and on. But Legion of Superheroes has always been kind of unique that it really depends upon the reader to be not just a fan of the Legion, which you could say is one requirement, but it really requires you to be a fan of storytelling in comics, which is, I would say, a different requirement, you know, a separate requirement. And so it's one of those things that just to kind of tie it all back with five years later, Five years later is one of those things that whether you're a huge Legion of Superheroes fan or if you're a complete Legion of Superheroes numbnuts, both of you are starting off more or less from the same point of uh, confusion, not really knowing what's going on with the story. I would say that hardcore Legion fans may have a leg up in terms of recognizing these characters and, and, and relating to them on that level. but. You know, the fact remains that this is, it, it basically throws everybody off, you know, on the first reading. And in a weird kind of way, that's actually something that I like about it. Because, I look, don't get me wrong, you know, I consider myself to be a fan of the Legion of Superheroes, but I don't consider myself to be a huge expert on the Legion of Superheroes. I enjoy the stories that I've read very enjoyable and always have a good time doing it usually but I I would be lying if I sat here and told you that I'm the Legion authority to be found anywhere in the entire world guys I would never make that claim you know even if it was true one might say especially if it was true so there's that but being as I'm a fan of storytelling in comics I think one of the reasons that I enjoy the five years later Legion of Superheroes, especially the first several issues of it, is because of the fact that as much as anything, what I enjoy about about those issues is the mood and the tone and the atmosphere and the context in which the story is taking place. I mean, because when you think about it, this is kind of a sort of a meandering type of story that got committee banged at least somewhat by DC Comics, and, you know, there's an argument that maybe 
just maybe the five years later Legion run isn't exactly what Keith Giffen and the beer bombs had in mind whenever they first started on this whole thing, you know? You could make that argument, and I think you've kind of got a leg to stand on. Guys, I, I really do. But to me, it's not necessarily just about the story that's being told. I mean, yes, that is important, all right? I would never say otherwise. And it's not just about the characters, although they too are important. I would never say otherwise. But as much as anything, the way that the story gets told, that kind of ellipses style where you get like the middle of anything, but you don't really get the beginning and you don't really get the end of anything. You get a lot of middles, you know, a lot of middles of things. And for me, I don't know why, but I just, I really like the way that uh, Keith Giffen told that story and drew those pages. And I would even go so far as to say that the title, well, I mean, look, I understand that there was a bunch of behind the scenes bullshit that was going on and it's really not anybody's fault. You know, this is just, you know, how things happened 30 years ago. So it's probably not worth getting mad about now, but I do think the title did kind of suffer, you know, the further back that Keith Giffen moved away from it, the the more the quality of it just kind of took a nosedive because at least for me, you know, so much of this, I, look, I don't want to say it's all about Keith Giffen's art because that's not really fair to anybody else, but it's, you know, it's like at the same time when the story is admittedly a little bit weak and it does go on a little bit too long. Well, one of the things, one of the kind of saving graces for all of that is the fact that man, the, atmosphere on these pages. Oh, 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 look at this stuff, guys. This is top quality work. Except that when he starts backing away from it, now, I don't know why, but at least for me, the flaws and the shortcomings of the story, and God knows the storytelling, start to become a little bit uh, more apparent, you know? So, anyway, I'm and, and honestly, guys, I mean, I want all of you to understand, like, how big an, uh, of an admission that is for me that, you know, there are instances where style maybe does take precedent or precedence over substance. You know, not always, not for everybody, not just anyone would get the same indulgence from me that I'm giving to Keith Giffen, but it's it's like at the same time, sometimes when you read a comic book, it's not necessarily just about the story that's being told. It's how the story is told. And I think, you know what, of all people, I think probably, I think it was Alan Moore who said the same thing about Watchmen. He said, look, guys, when you actually read it and you, and you just write down the stuff that actually happens in terms of plot and, you know, narrative construction and all that stuff, this is not a very, it's not all that original a story. You know, one of the things that people gravitate to with Watchmen is how the story is told, you know, and that's what really puts the comic book over the top for a lot of people in terms of quality, you know? Now, I'm not saying that you have to love Watchmen or hate it. I'm just kind of drawing a comparison here that Legion of Superheroes Volume 4 doesn't necessarily rise and fall on the quality of the story, and for that matter, neither did Watchmen. So read whatever you want into that. 
But as I've been reading this, you know, one of the things that I've started doing is a little bit of a Legion sort of binge. So let me just start by saying the great majority of my attention has been focused on this five years later era, but I've taken a glance or two at some other eras of the Legion. And I don't think it would be fair to say that I ever had like a super high opinion of the post, <clears throat> excuse me, the uh, post zero hour uh, reboot. You know, I don't remember ever being, you know, head over heels in love with that. You know, I really don't. But at the same time, the way I looked at it, or at least the way I remember having always looked at it is, yeah, it's pretty good. You know, it's got some weak points. It's got some strong points. And honestly, a lot of it comes out in the wash, you know? And yet, when I took a, when I took a look at some of those post-zero hour, post-zero hour issues more recently... Again, I didn't get going on this big, long, laborious reading project of the post-zero-hour Legion of Superheroes, but the issues that I glanced at, what I realized is, you know, I would say that, you know, there are some fits and starts, but the first year is generally pretty good, but it's, it's like, it just goes downhill a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more, as time goes by that, you know, I would say that probably right around 19, <clears throat> sorry, I'm going to get a sip off of uh, my Dr. Pepper here. My throat's start, starting to get a little bit dry. I'm also going to get a drag off my vaporizer. And another one. No, oh, yeah, that's the stuff. All right. So probably right around, uh, I want to say like 1997, 98, the post-zero-hour reboot of the Legion had, I don't want to say petered out, because that kind of implies that it was walking in tall cotton before that time, and then it just, the wheel sort of came off the wagon. I guess the the weaknesses and the drawbacks and the deficiencies of the post-zero hour legion started to become a little bit more apparent, you know? And again, I, it's not like I read all of these comics cover to cover to cover, you know? I just glanced at a, you know, at a few here and there and was like, oh yeah, I, I remember this story. This is, wow, this is actually not as good as I remembered, huh? And you know, you just, you go down the line and... It just doesn't really hold up, you know? And so I thought, okay, well, what about the three-boot Legion? You know, because I'm on record for enjoying the three-boot Legion quite a bit. And so took a glance at that. And I will say that the three-boot Legion is definitely a step up as compared to Zero Hour, the post-Zero Hour Legion. Mostly because these characters have a little bit more of a distinct voice, but it's like at the same time, what the fuck am I even reading in some cases? Not everything, but God knows near the end of the three boot legions run, it's it's like this thing is a clusterfuck, you know, it, it really is. And it's one of those things that it actually kind of made me start thinking, you know, I'm, I, I think I may have to come down with 
the the legion of superheroes purists out there who say that the the team never really recovered from John Byrne doing Man of Steel. You know, I'm I'm starting to think they they know what they're talking about, you know, because for as good as the post zero hour reboot is at times, you know, it's all predicated really on Marne uh, on a Monel, right? Or Largand, you know. So Monel, Largand, Valor, however you want to whatever you want to call them. You know, it's all predicated on him and the idea is that, you know, he could be a worthy stand-in for Superboy as the inspiration for the Legion of Superheroes. And, you know, growing up, as I did pro, uh, post-Crisis, you know, I kind of liked the idea of the Legion being separated from Superman because of the fact that, at least at that time, I thought that benefited Superman. But, you know, as I get older, one of the things that I realize is that, no, I don't think that Superman should be considered as an appendage of the Legion of Superheroes. And we need to be clear about that, but it's like at the same time, the the Legion, they do need to be somewhere in, like somewhere prominently in young Clark Kent's childhood, you know, and his, uh, I don't know, his formative years, you know, whether it's Superboy, you know, in in uh, the pre-crisis era, or if it's uh, just young Clark in the burn era, you know, whatever it is, you know, the Legion really does need to be somewhere in there, you know, not just for the Legion, but, you know, also for Superman, you know, Superman needs to have this. And this is one of those things that, you know, guys, Far be it from me to ever criticize, ever criticize John Byrne, especially when it comes to his work on Superman. But, you know, I look I look back at it all now and I can't help thinking that, you know, the Byrne reboot of Superman, how much how much better might things have turned out? At least I don't know so much about, you know, for Superman one way or the other. But certainly for the Legion, how much better might things have turned out if there had been just one panel in Man of Steel, number one, that showed young teenage Clark, not Superboy, but just plain Clark, socializing with Cosmic Boy, Lightning Lad, and Saturn Girl, right? Just one panel, and that's it, just to kind of set the stage for this. And then let things just kind of develop organically because severing severing Superboy, or just as a general thing, Superman, from the Legion of Superheroes, I don't think that necessarily hurt the Burn Era Superman. Not really. But it really did cripple the Legion of Superheroes to such a degree that I'm actually kind of to the point now where I don't know that the Legion's ever going to recover. I mean, how many years ago was it that 
Uh, the Legion of Superheroes title got canceled, and there's not been any real replacement for it since. It's been like five years or something like that. And it just kind of makes me wonder, you know, is the Legion of Superheroes, just as a concept, is that defunct now? And guys, the answer to that might be yes. It might be yes. And the other thing that happened that I honestly didn't really think too much about until, again, until this, you know, five years later uh, reread, or for that, in some cases, I think some of these comics I've actually read for the first time. But one of the things that kind of came out in all of this was, you know, this rereading project was the moment in Legion of Superheroes Volume 4 where the apron strings get cut and the Legion is now officially separated from Superboy. I hadn't really thought about it before, but guys, that... You know, when you think about it, like, the deletion of Superboy destroys the Legion. And then, for the Legion's part, deleting Superboy from their history, that destroys the burn era Superman, right? Because, just follow me on this, right? Just think about the continuity implications of all this stuff, right? Crisis happens, and so all of these different worlds, there's now just one. Burns Man of Steel happens, there was no Superboy. And on top of that, the Legion never met uh, young Clark, uh, there was no Superboy to meet. They never met Superman until he was something like nearly 10 years along uh, in his public career. That creates, obviously, all different kinds of problems for the Legion. And so fixing that, Burns, apparently this was Burns' idea, was this whole pocket universe thing with Superboy, like the pocket universe Superboy, the pocket universe Earth, the pocket universe Krypton, you know, and if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, Google it, but it's some serious shit went, in, went into this, right? And the edict, <clears throat> the editorial edict that uh, was handed down to the Legion office was, you know, it's all well and good that that pocket universe thing happened, but now you guys, you're not allowed to refer to Superboy at all, Superman at all, or any of this, anything to do with the Superman comics. Pocket universe or not, that is now officially forbidden to you, you know? And so the Legion office's way of dealing with that, of severing themselves completely from Superboy, was basically it was the Legion of Superheroes, Volume 4, Number 4, the punch heard round the DC Universe, where uh, Monel, directly or indirectly, basically, he basically wiped the the uh, Time Trapper out of continuity, as it were, and then the Time Trapper's machinations are not restored into continuity, but some of the basic ideas and designs and plans that he had 
were basically supplanted by similar designs and similar plans that Glorith had. Explicitly, though, one of the things that was wiped out was the Pocket Universe, the Pocket Universe Superboy, the Pocket Universe Earth, the Pocket Universe Krypton, etc., etc., etc. And so now that's playing havoc with Superman's continuity because, well, if the Pocket Universe no longer exists in such a way as that it never existed to begin with, that means that the burned Superman never traveled to the Pocket Universe Earth he never had a showdown with the Pocket Universe uh, Phantom Zone escapees. He never killed the Phantom, the Pocket Universe Phantom Zone escapees. He never brought uh, Matrix back from the Pocket Universe to the mainstream DC universe, etc., etc., etc. It's like these dominoes now fucking affect everything, you know? And so if all of those things never happened, then Superman couldn't possibly have had a nervous breakdown. He couldn't possibly have ever gone out into outer space. He couldn't possibly have ever met the Eradicator, you know, blah, blah, just et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Like just this one little change, now it affects everything, everything. And it's just, it's one of those things where, I guess I, like, why not just leave well enough alone, you know? Or for that matter, you know, knowing what we do, you know, how things turned out, why didn't somebody ever say, hey guys, can we just retcon young Clark Kent into the Legion of Superheroes past and also retcon the Legion of Superheroes into young Clark Kent's past so that, you know, young Clark Kent, you know, uh, 15, 16, basically high school age Clark would meet up with the Legion and they would go and have adventures, but he was basically young Clark Kent, you know, he was not Superboy, obviously, but he was just, he was young Clark Kent. And just basically retcon all of those Legion stories that included Superboy, but basically the reader can mentally replace pre-crisis Superboy with burn age young Clark Kent, you know, high school age Clark Kent, and you're basically getting more or less the same thing, you know? And it's like, Look, it, it's been 30 years, so I got, it, I don't know if this is necessarily worth like getting mad about, but it's like... <sighs> and honestly, I mean, guys, you, you know, before I even start criticizing this, you know, who knows, but there could have been some hellacious office politics that were going on here. I mean, look, I've never met Mike Carlin. I've never talked to Mike Carlin. I don't know really too much of anything about Mike Carlin, but he seems to be one of those love him or hate him types of types of guys that made their name at DC Comics for a lot of years there where, you know, the people who worked for him have nothing but love for him. But just as he moved along in his career and, you know, he did this thing, he did that thing, he did the other, he made some enemies along the way, you know? And maybe those enemies that he made have a fair point because I got the idea that Carlin seems like he was very possessive of anything to do with Superman, how that's used and what happens with it. And it just makes me wonder, you know, the damage that might have been done by somebody, whether it was Mike Carlin or, or who, I don't know, but somebody 
being perhaps a little bit too possessive of Superman to such a degree that now it diminishes the Legion, you know? And I don't know. I mean, so my point is maybe that dynamic was going on there where he was being very obstinate, very hard-headed, and Superman is going to appear in Superman comics that come out of the Superman comics office and everyone else... As far as you're concerned, Superman is hands-off. I don't know what the policies were back then or how Mike Carlin conducted his business, but it just, it kind of makes me wonder that, you know, he might have been maybe a little bit too protective of Superman for the Legion's own good, you know? And, I don't know. But my point here is to say that the Legion of Superheroes, it's not enough that they're inspired to do what they do by the general idea of I don't know, like mainstream DC Universe superheroes like Batman, Hawkman, Green Lantern, Superman, you know, just basically the entire, you know, DC Universe cast of heroes. It's not even enough that they that they're inspired by Monel. The Legion of Superheroes needs to be inspired by Superman. I mean, number one, the more tightly interwoven into the Legion of Superheroes that Superman or Superboy is, the higher their sales tend to be, so you can't really ignore, like, the commercial aspect of it. But just from, like, an in-universe, character-driven point of view, who else but Superman could possibly inspire the Legion of Superheroes? I mean, guys, Look, I love Batman as much as the next guy, but on the best day Batman ever had, his legacy is never going to be inspiring the Legion of Superheroes to do what they do. But damn it, man, maybe, you know, probably Superman's would be, you know? I can believe that, at least of Superman, and I can believe that in a way that I wouldn't necessarily believe that of any other DC character, maybe the Flash, but I honestly, I doubt even that. Really, this is Superman's thing, you know? And whenever you separate these two things that I think were kind of meant to go together, yeah, it kind of harms Superman in a certain kind of way, but it really harms the Legion. It doesn't work to their benefit to be separated from Superman as their inspiration, and so for me, if the Legion of Superheroes must exist, their inspiration must be Superman in some way or another. And that's just the way I look at it, guys, except no substitutes. So what I will say, though, is I do kind of wonder, because that, that bit of business I mentioned a second ago with the, the pocket universe and going on, goings on with that and how that, how removing the pocket universe as though it never existed from the Legion's history, how that kind of works to undermine Superman's own continuity, and it just kind of makes me wonder, was that vengeance on somebody's part? Did somebody decide, okay, all right, that's what you want, fine. You want me to remove any trace of Superboy? I'll be happy to do that. Just be careful what you ask for, buddy, because you just might get it. I don't know. Makes you wonder. But anyway, <clears throat> like I say, I'm going to renew the promise that I made last week. At some point or another, I will, I promise, 
do an episode about Legion of Superheroes Volume 4, number one. I don't know. I mean, obviously, it's going to be after Trennis Magnus punches reality comes out of exile, you know, returns from exile. But when might that be? But I don't know. I'll keep you posted. I'm going to try to get to it early on whenever I whenever I come back from exile, but I guess we're just going to have to see how things turn out. But uh, anyway, but that is the promise. I will talk at least about Legion of Superheroes, Volume 4, Number 1, at some point very soon after Trennis Magnus Punches Reality comes back. This I do promise. So anyway, so I think that's pretty much it for me for right now. So bye, everybody. I'll see you next time. So I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks podcast network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trennismagnus at gmail.com. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promos section. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at TwoTrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. 
Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trenis Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demanzacor of Milan, Italy.